Hey. Hey. I'm Alex. I'm Val. And we're here to talk about Sopranos. We're now in season three. Yeah. Episode one. Episode one. Mr. Rouge Ruggiero's Neighborhood. Yep. <laughs> um, we ju- I, yeah. We just finished up season two, so there hasn't really been a break for us. No. We're moving quickly. So it's interesting because, you know, when back when the show was coming out, people yeah. would have had to wait a year. Quite between, some time. And actually, know, some of the breaks between seasons were really long. Were longer. Yeah, yeah, I forget which season was that really long one. Going into the late ones. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it is, you know, it, it's fun to watch it just after another, but you do start to see, um, you know, you see some differences in the, how do I say it? Like, um, decisions that they they make in each season about how things look or how things are set up or kind of what they're going for in terms of the seasons right we can see already that this might be a really different season than what we've seen in the past yeah um yeah definitely yeah i think it's interesting too so this episode is written by david chase which is always important it's important it's interesting to take note of the ones that he writes because we get kind of a window into his concept and his writing kind of you know, can kind of give us a guideline to what the show is about for him and what his main issues are. And the thing that really fascinates me about this episode is season three is really where Sopranos has become like a major hit. That's another thing to kind of like think about in terms of like when it was coming out. Like this is a very popular show. In 2000 or 2000, early Early, very, you know, we're in the, yeah, early 2000s. It's, you know, shortly before 9-11. Right. Um, I believe it was, yeah, it's in the year before that. And the thing that's really interesting to me is that the show has reached pretty insane critical acclaim. I mean, after the first season, I know I've heard a lot of the, the writers and the staff that were still involved saying that they felt like there was a lot of pressure. None of them expected it to get the reception that it did. But after two, it was really becoming like very widely watched. It was becoming more of a critical success. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, it was becoming more of a popular success outside of a critical success. Right. You know. And what fascinates me is that that happens... And they make the first episode very centrally focused on issues of boredom, and or maybe not boredom as much mm, as just kind like of just monotony. The yeah. yeah, like the regularness of Tony's mm. existence mm-hmm. and the regularness of The Sopranos' existence. And I think that, or I guess his non-regularness because he needs more roughage. <laughs> very good, <laughs> but everything that kind of happens around Tony is. Very ordinary. So, I mean, it, it made me think of the scene where Jeannie Cusimano was saying, you know, they're in the mafia and then cuts herself off. But then she's saying they're different. Mm-hmm. And yet the things that happen to the family in this episode are their water heater blows up. Carmela and Aide go and play tennis. The concerns are pretty typical. Like Carmela probably had a thing for the old tennis instructors, kind yeah. of what one could surmise from her past relationships with people like Vic Musto and others. Yeah. Um, and, you know, AJ's kind of acting out in pretty childish ways. You know, he's kind of going through kind of regular things, skipping assembly. Meadows in school kind of settling into New York. Taking a nap. It's all taking a nap. <laughs> it's all very normal. And for me, that takes a lot of confidence from the showrunners to have success. People are clearly drawn to the show in some part because of the excitement of like the mafia storylines and they're just completely flipping it on its head. Mm -hmm. In fact, I feel like they're going even further with it now. Mm -hmm. They're really like, if anything, showcasing and focusing on how the family is more similar to everybody else than they are different. 
Right. And I love how we have this like heightened sense of drama too, because we have that kind of classic like spy music or whatever. The Peter like Gunn the, theme. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, of course, amazing mashup with I'll Be Watching You yeah. by the police, but um, which comes up again and again in the episode. But it's like this heightened, like we see them looking at their watches. We have yeah. all these, you know, we have these walkie talkies. So there is this dramatic um, thing going on, but it really actually has zero impact on Tony. At and this his, point. And his family. Yeah. At I mean, this, yet at to be point. seen. And I mean, like the last shot is somewhat foreboding yeah you know to see this lamp there to know that there is you know something that could play into yep. the agents getting something on them yeah and we even get a sense of their timeline you know he says within a you know he says like by that time i think it's like in a year we'll yeah. be you know we'll be charging them basically yeah. so you can tell that they're kind of focused on the family in a more you know diligent manner mm-hmm. um, i thought that was interesting too actually hearing their conversation around the round table like how wrong they were about a lot of things. Yeah. And they they may they like I love when they all nod at each other for really silly things like they'll be like, "Oh, like um we could um give Livia whatever whatever the terminology is, like if she says that Tony gave her the ticket, then we'll give her her immunity, right, right from uh prosecution or whatever I want to say about that." So they they're all like nodding their heads like Oh yeah, like what kind? You know, what kind of mother would would do that to her son, right? And they're like, yeah, but little do they know that like she's been a threat on his life, right? Right. Similarly, when they talk about like Richie being hit by the cartel, mm-hmm. it goes around like it kind of has a shot around the table, and they're all like, hmm, yeah, like nodding their heads, right. right? Well, I love also they get wrong the timeline on the water boiler or the yeah. heater. You know, they're yeah, saying they're like, like in six, six months, months that's gonna yeah. blow, and then it blows almost immediately. Yeah. So. Um, no, and we don't really, like, we haven't spent that much time with the FBI before, right? We've had a couple, you know, at the end of last season, we were in their office for a yeah. little bit, and we've had, like, little windows into it prior. I like that we, like, the characters that we know in the FBI are part of this squad, right? So they're not giving us, like, too many new characters. Um, we have Skip, who's part of this, right? There's no mention, really. I mean, there's, like, a brief mention of Pussy, yeah, right? well, they, and they use his, like, MIA. case file name. They use, like, the, and they're not even referencing him by his name. Yeah. It's like he's, like, I forget, like, C-16 or something. Yeah, and that he was and essential they, for this For the Rubistic scam. For the Rubistic yeah, scam. Yeah, and then we saw that when Christopher was kind of laying everything out yeah. Um, yeah. to him. And so, yeah, obviously they needed him to prosecute on that. I love when they're reading, this, like, the script. It looks like they're, like, they're all following along the right. script, right? And... Um, that's the closest they've ever gotten Tony to actually talking about something, right? And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything at all, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, like, when, as well with that, like, they're, they can't get anything, basically, from that. And, like, and Tony, you know, doesn't talk about anything. We also, there's some, like, exposition that happens about what the FBI actually has on the family. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, but I feel like it's almost, the intention is kind of twofold, like, they are exposing things, but it's also like kind of like a cheap shot at expositional dialogue in these kinds of shows. Right. Like when they're saying like, we've had each of his phones bugged for years, but the mm. guy says less than Harpo marks. But there's then there's like this strange edit <laughs> that we see a lot in this yeah, episode. These I like talk weird, about those throughout. Yeah. these weird fades that actually kind of like make the show seem out of place. And it is out of place. The it's the editing is very deliberate in this show, and I think it's conscious when they edit differently mm-hmm. 
Let's come back to that. I want to talk about that in more depth. Okay. Yeah. But you were going to say something about exposition. Well, that. I mean, the fact yeah. that they're like, <laughs> that's cheaper dialogue than we're used to in this show. Totally. Well, I even mean, like with Meadow being at Columbia, right? Like that's how we find out. Well, except we from Tony's dream. dream. Yeah. <laughs> but it's confirmed by the FBI agents. Um, there's yeah. There's there's just like yeah. a cheapness, or and maybe like a tongue-in-cheek way of looking at all the scenes that include the FBI. Like, it's just, it's too obvious. It's too over the head. Even mm -hmm. the Peter Gunn theme, like, that's, like, the most obvious song that I could possibly think of to equate, like, policing. And there's something I where... Spies. I think they're kind of playing with that because I don't think that this show and this episode is about them. And I think people are drawn to it because it's, like, oh, it's, like, fascinating and it's, you know, we're, we're drawn into this, like, cops and robbers thing. But... The show's not about that, and it's about, you know, the characters and things that are going on on a different level. And there's just, there's a lot of things I felt that were just, like, they overdid it intentionally. Like, after they get in, they're, like, out of the sausage factory, and then, like, two agents, yeah. like, give each other a high five. Yeah. And then again, like there's, the, like... The code names for them, like, you know... Yeah. Baby Big. Baby Big. Yeah. And Bada Bang, you know. And then, again, and then there's, like, these, another weird edit after that. And I think, you know, there was a bunch of examples where they're using those strange fades, and it just feels like a different place it yeah. feels like a different mood well like, yeah because like what it seems like is like you know like if you've ever watched like i don't know oh i for some reason law and order comes okay. to my mind but like one of those like cop shows or like i don't know uh what's the other one svu that's law and order <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's many law and orders but they do they have they have these cuts that are like that especially actually yeah. in law and order they have mm -hmm. this like um this, they put up these black screens with like where this thing is right. located. And I like yeah. the ones in New York because it's always like some intersection where I'm like, that's not really where it is. But <laughs> they but they leave like when they cut a scene, they kind of leave it on a like they let it have some drama that's drawn out. So like it'll be like a like close up on someone's face and it pauses for just long enough and then goes to the next scene. This These fades almost like cut off the character that it was seeing. Like it almost like faded too far quickly like some of the ones that faded from the not too like I don't want to say too quickly like it's a negative thing it's yeah. definitely on purpose and it's effective mm -hmm. but compared to these like regular cop shows they almost like cut out before the moment of drama in some ways like mm -hmm. it's like fade and cut and here's something else going on right um, it was like I don't know there's something about the timing of them that was really quick we, we did have some, I mean, like, you know, in terms of, like, the dramatic fade out, like, when AJ is cutting the assembly and smoking with his buddies. Yeah. Um, and trying to get Snapple. They're just, like, obsessed with getting Snapple. Um, no backwash. Without backwash in it. Um, <laughs> at the end, when he sees his friend, like, oh, he tried out for JV football, and mm -hmm. all the other guys are kind of, like... Like, oh, cool, dude. Way to be involved. Well, and he, yeah, AJ says, what position? And then the guy says, douchebag. But we can see that AJ's actually He's actually interested. interested, yeah. And then, of course, we see him. The only other time we see him, mm -hmm. really, is later on when he's, like, trying out for the team. Yeah, and I think that's actually really relevant because we've heard already, to a certain extent, about Tony and his... Football. Yeah, and his football and, and the way that he was insecure whenever Junior would push him about, you know, being a varsity athlete. And that's something that was very important to him. And as the show goes on, actually, there's even more mm -hmm. that we get about Tony and his relationship with being a varsity athlete mm -hmm. and playing football and his relationship with his high school coach and the way that that plays into his psyche. So I think it's really interesting that AJ is actually 
kind of taking some of those things for himself, that he's actually kind of in some ways an extension of Tony and has some of the same values and interests because he seems to be kind of like nihilistic at times. He sometimes, you know, takes on this like big nothing and he's just like an aimless teenager. Mm -hmm. But we see him even there when he's skipping school and... Um, smoking and getting Snapples like Wearing a badass. Wearing that Pantera t-shirt with a big <laughs> marijuana leaf on it. Yeah, what a badass. But he skateboarding. is... Skateboarding. Skateboarding. He's genuinely interested in his friend who's a varsity, you know, a junior varsity athlete, whereas yeah. all his friends think it's stupid. Yeah. So there is something kind of humanizing about that, and it also expands AJ as a character and links him to his dad. Yeah, no, totally. Um... Actually, even there, there's a, like... There was a zoom in on him, like on what position. Well, that's like, what yeah, I was, that's where was, I was coming to with, with that. So, yeah, like we are left with this, like yeah, zoom shot onto AJ's face, yeah. and it shows him kind of looking pensive, like we. You yeah, know. which the show always uses very intentionally. Mm-hmm. That's typically a shot that they use for to stress importance. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So we, you know, and again, it's like one of those fast edits. We have a lot of edits in this. Yeah. Episode. Um, the other thing, just in terms of like not storyline per se, but just for um, technique that I wanted to talk about were the different viewpoints that we get throughout the episode and Mm -hmm. like in other episodes too. So we've talked in past episodes about how we've, you know, once or twice gotten Tony's point of view, right? Mm -hmm. We're like seeing the world through Tony's eyes. Like we see it kind of, he's staggering, he's about to pass out. Um, In the last episode or the second, uh, penultimate, I forget now, when AJ, it's... um, Meadows graduation party mm-hmm. and AJ has a camera mm-hmm. and we see the family quickly through AJ's right. eyes, right? Like through the film lens or yeah. the camera lens, um, which I, I want to kind of go back on and think about that in terms of whose lens we're seeing actually, is it through AJ's eyes and how, like what it looks like through AJ's eyes. Right. But in this episode, we see this binocular view, right? right. So it's like through the eyes of these agents who are, you know, I love the different groups of them, like the ones that are watching Carmela and Aid taking right. tennis lessons. Um, they're, they're funny. Um, the guy who goes up and uh, asks about the language school and yeah. says that his you know, grandmother's Polish. <laughs> yeah, he was really like trying hard there. Yeah. He was successful. That's he good. He was successful. Um, you know, the, you know, Skip Lapari, who has somehow graduated to trailing Tony. It's a pretty important <laughs> job, you know? Right? Like, he used to just be this guy who was with Pussy. Um, <laughs> that was an important job, too. I guess so. I guess so. I feel like it was, like, a step up for Skip. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like he's an important FBI well, he, agent. Well, well, we know, well, we know that he was kind of dissatisfied with his position at the FBI. Right. right. Well, he, he even talks about, about being that. passed over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, I don't know, I like was happy for him when I saw <laughs> oh, that, <I'm> he, <laughs> that he was the one trailing Tony. Um, I love the, all the different costumes that these guys have, like mm-hmm. dressing up as different kinds of, right. you know. Essex County <laughs> mosquito workers. Mosquito team yeah. or whatever it is. Um, and then I also love how Tony always is able to identify Agent Harris, regardless of what kind of silly hat he's wearing. Right. Um, and he's like disappointed, like, oh man, he made me <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's also interesting to see Agent Harris in this context where he's actively working against Tony because typically when he shows up in the show, it's this very kind of like collegial relationship that they have. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, actually. I always kind of question him. Like, it's bizarre because he works for the FBI and his whole modus operandi is to take down the Soprano family. Mm-hmm. But they seem very friendly and like he just seems like a nice guy and they Mm. almost seem to have like a friendship. But in this episode, it's more active that he's actually working against Tony. 
I want to come back to that because I just want to finish up what I was talking mm-hmm. about with the binocular yeah. viewpoint first, but I think that is important. Um, I think that when we see things through not just our regular camera lens, it is important to pay attention to them, like yeah. who it is that is seeing and like what is their lens or their yeah. viewpoint. Um, and so I think you know in those in those edits that have the binocular frame around them, it is often these kind of like problematic views or like, I don't know, seeing, how do I say? Um, seeing what they want to see, seeing like whatever their kind of perspective is, right? Yeah. So like I think about those two that are watching Aid and Carmela play mm-hmm. tennis, right? right. Um, we it's, it's personified, it's not just a camera that's seeing like omniscient kind of camera right um it is actually this like person who we're seeing through their eyes Mm -hmm. so i do think that's important it also kind of is it lends itself to kind of like the voyeurism right so even like when Jeannie kuzumano answers the door Mm -hmm. and she's like oh you should go and ask them like and we you know early in earlier season we saw melfi like looking out the window of the kuzumano's house right yeah. so there is this like voyeuristic kind of aspect yeah. um they weren't supposed to go upstairs they're supposed to stay in the basement but we see one of the fbi agents going through their mail mm-hmm. right um so i just think it's important i don't know like i i want to pay attention to like when we next see something like that with a point of view shift right but it also i think like and I think Soprano's autopsy talks about this, um, which is probably where I'm getting it from. But just like challenges our our own, like why are we watching this, right? Why are we watching this boring right. mob show where nothing really happens, <laughs> right? Um, why are you know um, why well, why is that so thrilling for us to watch? Well, I think it's really it's playing with the genre because I yeah. mean I think there's a lot to get from the show and there's a lot of deeper questions and and some answers and, and I'm some... not saying the opposite no no of that. but I think that the show is is very kind of worthwhile and, and examines a lot of real things whereas I think that a lot of other shows are a lot more surfacey mm-hmm. so yeah maybe it's it's the the irony is that there's more going on in the show about boredom and it makes more sense for us to be watching it than it does to watch something that's you know exciting and mm. action-packed mm, interesting so i think that there's actually more happening here than there could be in something that's you know just like a standard mob fair whatever yeah yeah no i think that's a good point point. and i think that that's kind of what this show is going for like i mean it is it's so ambitious i think to take like a tv show and then when you have major success that kind of came out of nowhere to double down <laughs> on your themes of regular life mm. and boringness in mm. the midst of a mob theme yeah i mean that's it really takes some guts but i mean i think it it just it totally works and i think that they can get to some really interesting questions and i think it really works yeah, yeah i, think it's I great. like that no we have like one moment that looks like it's going to be violent right in the whole thing where we have patsy outside right and that kind of yeah. You know, but then that he just ends up peeing in the pool, like right. You know. <laughs> um, so it is. Yeah, I think that's interesting though that it is like um, pointing us out to the things that are more worthwhile to spend our time watching, right? Yeah. Or like lessons we can mm-hmm. learn from things rather than things that are like constantly stimulating. Yeah. Too. Um, yeah, but I wanted to come back to your thing about Agent Harris. Okay. Because I find I actually like I really like his character a lot. Right. He, for me, is someone who is kind of just like a worker bee in some mm. ways. I don't see him like, I don't think, 
I don't know. I, I want to pay attention more to him. And I wish I mentioned him in another week and I talked about watching his full story arc. Oh, but yeah. unfortunately, those YouTube videos have been taken down for copyright infringement. <laughs> Very sad. Which I guess kind of makes sense. But <laughs> that was one that was so good. And so I'm sorry yeah. that you five people who are listening <laughs> to this uh, or maybe heard that that I talked about it the first time um, didn't get to see that uh, because he really like he he I mean not a spoiler but he's with us through the whole show at in at different times right, right. and but he comes across to me as just like a worker like he works for the FBI but I and yes like he's good at his job and he was invested in this sting whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it um in this operation yeah um but he also cared like he was the one when they were watching that video he was like about the brown water he was like hold on hold on like zoom yeah. in on this that wasn't relevant to him that was relevant like as a person mm. you know interesting like it you know it, he didn't have to say anything about that because it's irrelevant right. to what they were looking for they're looking for a place to place their microphone and yet it right. did end up being relevant to the case, well, ironically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how convenient. But, like, you wouldn't, if you were just an, you know, if you were just looking for the place to place the microphone, then that's not something you care about. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think he he does, I don't know, you, you don't really get to know him all that well. But he, I think he does, like, he he's maybe a, a more empathetic character than some of the other FBI agents are who are like really like forcefully out to get Tony. Right. I don't see him as that. Right. And I'll keep paying attention to it. But yeah. he doesn't ever, at least so far, like he does never come out that strong. He comes across, like you said, as this kind of nice guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and he treats Tony with respect. I mean, to some extent, going into his house without him knowing is arguably not showing him <laughs> not that much respect. Not super respectful. But yeah. 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 I just thought that, yeah, in this episode, there was just so many instances of, like, laying out how regular things are for the family right mm. now. Um, you know, in the beginning, I'm just going to the stationary store. You don't have to follow me this time, you know, yeah. near the beginning when he's talking to them. Um, I thought that it was interesting, actually, like, the way that the music would come in, you know, which yeah. obviously, like, elevates drama yep. and tension. And they would have the music... And then when it would, it would early on, it would yeah. it would cut to kind of Tony and Patsy. And then actually they had the lyrics coming in outside of Peter Gunn thing. Now we're saying, I'll be watching you. Mm -hmm. So there's this element of like, you need to know that like their existence will always contain being watched. Like they will, there's surveillance. Yeah. They need to kind of like look over their shoulder. But it's interesting because then, you know, you have this very kind of dramatic moment or moments you know where the music is kind of like elevating what we're seeing but then when it goes to the whole mob everybody's together which is exactly probably what they're looking yeah. for and they're just having dinner there's no pa music Polly's, it completely cuts Polly's out talking about peeing on your shoelaces Polly, yeah he's talking about like germs around urinals yeah. <laughs> for a long time it's a i mean again like they they really double down on the subject material that yeah. they're using it's like at the end it's like dental floss and roughage Polly's talking about germs around you know yeah. <laughs> about urinals there's just you know there's Sills, even Sills watching a golf game yeah yeah they, <laughs> they're really going for it. even the you know the agents um when they're when they're watching Tony you know they say nothing out of the ordinary and then they're Tony's eating sugar pops which they even reference right. just eating sugar pops now ironically in that moment we 
when uh, he's with Gigi, he actually is kind of talking about business right. and then goes downstairs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that they very David Chase, who wrote this, is very deliberate about kind of throwing in like the most everyday things that he possibly yeah. could. No, I think the music, like you mentioned, the music coming in when he's with Patsy, and it's like I'll be the, I'll be watching you lyric. Yeah. I think also like there is an aspect too of what. Tony and the rest of his crew is doing with Patsy, right? They're keeping him close so they can yeah. watch him. Yeah. They took him from Junior's crew yeah. so that they could make sure that he's not going to do something crazy, yeah. right? So there is this aspect, like, it's like everybody's kind of watching everybody. Yeah. Even that guy who, like, in Meadow's dorm room, like, peers out of his door wearing a towel, right? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like everybody's watching everybody. Everybody's right. kind of like, yeah. Um, right, right. I don't know. Everybody's yeah. being watched by somebody. Totally. Kind of I thought, thing. yeah, I thought that was interesting too. That moment where it's, um, they're just outside the Bada Bing. The way that they mix the two songs, it's not, it doesn't like kind of flow from one song into the other separately. I mean, they do deliberately choose the parts of the song to emphasize certain mm -hmm, lyrics, mm -hmm. but they actually mix it in a way where both will be playing at the same time, which is an interesting move. I, and so when I they're talking it. about I'll be watching you, there's like the Peter Gunn theme is still going on, mm -hmm. which we associate so heavily with, you know, like the fuzz or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like that's just always a part of their life. Yeah. And it'll always be there and they will always be watched by the enforcement. And that's just kind of part of what it is. Yeah. Um, we get a flashback. So speaking of like other, you know, film stuff going on. Yeah, a rare usage of flash flashback in like, this I show. think they probably just wanted to remind us what happened. I mean, or, or make it clear to us that that was the twin. <laughs> yeah, I think they want to make it clear that it was the twin. They want to reestablish Gigi who's coming Gigi in, who's who like it, yeah. come in for like two seconds, you yeah. know, in the show and then like not expanded on. And now he will be a somewhat bigger character. Yeah, you can still I mean, miss a character like that on your first or second viewing of this show, but yeah. he's around now. Um, and yeah, I think it's, you know, also to show that, that the Parisis are twins. It yeah. just kind of like helps us out a little bit. Yeah. Probably not a bad idea. Yeah. We can all use a little help. <laughs> and actually, I love, too, in the beginning where we're in the FBI meeting and you can see on the chalkboard the actual... Yeah. Um, you like know, the a pyramid. tree. Yeah. yeah, the tree of the mob. Yeah. Pyramid's which, probably a better. Yeah. Thing. Which is, uh, you know, which which helps with seeing, you know, where people stand and the crews they're in and, you know, where people like GGR yeah. and the pecking order. Well, I love also, like, and that's, you know, something we see in The Wire, too. I, always, I don't know. I just always like seeing, like, what's in the mm -hmm. background and the, and the amount of detail that the teams take to right. create this. But it also, you know, in terms of the role of the FBI, right, we see how they get things wrong, yeah. you know, when they're talking about it. But, like, how much effort, like, how much effort and resources are yeah. going into this and how long it would have taken to draw that on a chalkboard, um, <laughs> you know, they're really... I'm sure drawing it on a chalkboard is the least of the I'm amount of time sure that they the went least in. Of the, but I mean, they, they did that, right? Like, that's yeah. it's kind of a funny thing to do with a group of people who's supposed to know this group in and out. They still have to have, like, a diagram of them yeah. on the wall, yeah. you know? Um, but I do, like, I pause when I see those things. Totally. And I look at it. Yeah. Check it if there's anything you didn't weird. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or anything that they get wrong, because that's the thing that often right. will happen, right? Is, like, they've misinterpreted something. Yeah. Um, that we know better, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, I didn't see anything that stood out in that one, though. 
I can't. Yeah. I Except guess. I guess. I think I saw the Altieri crew, who we know Jimmy's obviously died. Yeah. But, yeah. But I think that's also they probably know that. They probably had deceased on there. I yeah. think They knew he was. Dead. I think somebody was blocking it. Somebody yeah. was in front of it, so you couldn't see all the words. Yeah. Um. What else? What else do you want to talk about? Um. Yeah. I have some little things. I have, you know, at the end, it was interesting how um, when Hunter Scangarello's coming mm-hmm. in with Meadow and saying Eric Scatino hates Montclair State and he's doing so much acid, you know, he's like burning out on acid. And then Meadow's only response is, God, he was so straight edge. And then it's gone. You know, that's yeah. all we get. So we do get a window into the life of another character, yeah. which is just an expansion of what we were talking about at the end of last season, which are the effects of Tony Soprano, how it impacts other people and how the collateral damage is really significant. So not only was Dave Scatino completely bust out, but his son, even with somebody like Vic Musto looking out for him, who said he was going to pay for his college while he couldn't go to Georgetown anymore. The irony is that we're seeing the scene of Meadow at Columbia. Yeah. Eric was arguably an even more deserving student. Yeah. And he ends up at a place where he's completely changed his personality and his actions you know he's yeah. burning out on acid now and that's so steep that's a steep kind of jump yeah but i mean i think it it makes sense because the impact on his family was sure. was so severe from tony sure. i also like meadow's roommate what's her yeah. name <laughs> i don't even know if, oh you they say it like once at this point but yeah rats i didn't write it down new york's gonna was... eat that girl up yeah. <laughs> um she doesn't have a chance it's interesting like yeah, I don't know quite what to make of it, except that, like, she's kind of a good foil to Meadow in some mm-hmm. ways, right? Like, Meadow, although she's not from New York, yeah. is only 30 minutes away. Right. And I feel like this girl is from, like, middle America or something, you know? Like, I, well, that's, yeah. they don't say, yeah. but you kind of get that sense. She's not from there. Yeah. Um, she arrived. She's partying really yeah. hard. Um, and then kind of it hits her, right? Yeah. Like, you can, like, what you can, like, gloss over some of these things, right? She yeah. talks about like being at Broadway and 66th right. or 68th Street or whatever. Ruby Foose. <laughs> um, which is a strange place to go for yeah. a Columbia student, but anyways. Oh, um, she's young. Yeah. She'll figure out better places. Um, <laughs> and she's all like pumped up. She's singing um is she singing Frank Sinatra. She's singing Yeah, song. well yeah, she's doing yeah. singing New York, New York. Yeah. Um, you know, she's really pumped up, but then she has this moment on the train where this guy's right. eating chicken. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Everyone's been there. And there's a blind guy who's beside him and, Whose you know, space like, is just so invaded. And so it's like cut out that glossiness. Right. And right. it's made her really anxious. Right. Um, and she's not able to kind of like see it in that way that she used to be able to see it. Um, I think that happened, you know, like Meadows probably been like jaded earlier in life than I wish I remembered her name, Um, her roommate. It's okay. Um, We'll get there. But, you know, like has had more access to like the grittiness that can exist in life. I don't know. Yeah. Not to any kind of larger extent, right? Like Meadows still pretty sheltered and protected too. But like she's not doing acid. She hasn't like gone you know declined like that but other characters around around her yeah i don't know yeah um i do also like that the roommate has all those absolute vodka ads because that was such a year 2000 thing to have right up on your wall yeah yeah and also like her draw to 
alcohol and then like posting that as like part of her identity but then mm. also seeing like the destruction mm -hmm. that it's having on her you mm -hmm. know and she's already you know like blowing off she had a pretty quick like, i mean she was pretty quickly <laughs> like it was like a week long binge right. and then she's like stopped drinking right for a week yeah she seems rather <laughs> extreme yeah i like her though um you can be friends with her go to ruby foos mm -hmm. <laughs> um i feel like at the beginning we get like a feeling that there's been a passage of time like the very first shot right. is the soprano house like night moving to day well there's like it's like set in nature there's like weird spotlights on the house too yeah. like kind of their like security lights yeah. or something like that yeah we have this weird music playing yeah and we actually see there's like a weird fade. I don't know if you were caught that too, but like we see the newspaper and then it kind of like fades to Tony walking down to get the newspaper. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like, well, I think so it's it was like, kind of like a dreamy uh, kind of state. I don't know. I think again, it's like emphasizing this repetition and regularity. Yeah. Of things. So like and they've started Tony off all the, the you know, a lot all of these times. seasons start with yeah, yeah. him coming down the driveway to get the newspaper. And it just keeps on repeating. Like there's an aspect of their life that's just more day-to-day -day and repetitive and monotonous than anything else yeah um how about the title mr rogerio's neighborhood i thought it was the interesting plumber. so yeah so they they bring it up in the fbi meeting you know yeah. mr rogerio you know who's that he's the plumber i guess it's mr rogerio's neighborhood and then yeah. they, david chase goes so far as to name the episode that yeah i mean i think part of it is playing to these themes that we've been discussing i mean the neighborhood, you would think that it would be attached to the exciting mob family, but it's not. It's attached to this, this plumber. plumber is, is it, you know, how they're they're naming it. Yeah. And also that he's the one in a position of power to help the family, that they have these day-to-day -day problems and that, you know, he's coming in and the one who's able to kind of get them out of this mess or whatever, the mess being that their water boiler blew up. Mm -hmm. the, the chief messes for the Soprano family right now are – the water boiler exploded. Tony needs more roughage, and he's had something stuck in his teeth for two days, and Carmela thinks he should floss more. Yeah, they got some new coffee. It really cleaned him out. Yeah. Yeah. They said that it was a Vienna, or no, it was a, yeah. Uh, it was, was a Vienna roast. It wasn't an Italian roast. Right. I forget what they said, but yeah, no, I, I can see that. I think it's also like, you know, what does it mean, like, kind of, I don't know, what does it mean to be a neighbor? So like, yeah. Neighbors are kind of nosy, right? We know the Cusimanos are actually pretty nosy. I was right. actually surprised that Jeannie didn't like, like that she even caught herself right. being like the ma. Right. And then she stops talking. Yeah. Because um, we know that they're pretty, you know, I don't know. They, yeah. They're interested and in, they have in some what knowledge. the Sopranos are doing. And they have some knowledge. Then again, they are just like they, two random Essex whatever mosquito control yeah, workers. Yeah, I know. You're not going to like you know, share all your deepest secrets. But I wonder if they still have that package that Tony gave them. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Probably. But, you know, like, so that she she says they're different, right? Yeah. So we get this sense that, like, you know, I don't know where all the other mobsters live, but, like, that, you know, there's not, like, a bunch of mobsters living on this street. No. You know, it's mostly kind of these regular, normal people, like the friend of the FBI chief's wife or whatever, right. who's friends with Mrs. Rogeria yeah. or whoever it was. Yeah. Uh, his sister is friends with her or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, the neighborhood actually, they are different. They, they do stand out. And then, but then also at, at the same time that they fit in, 
Yeah. So, you know, Jeannie Cusimano's line of they're different. Well, like, are they? And it's Mr. Ruggiero's neighborhood, and they're a part of it. Like, they are a part of that community. They do interact with the Cusimanos, and their concerns in day-to-day life is almost identical. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tony's job. Where their kids go to school, where yeah. if their water heater's broken. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is the revolutionary thing about this show, because I don't think things had done that before. Taken such, like, an elevated, dramatic world you know, like that of the mafia, and then focused on the day-to-day life. That's really where this mm-hmm. show is exceptional. Yeah. And really started something new. And there, it seems like they're really, they're focusing on it. They're starting off season three with a strong statement. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the connection to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood would be, but there is one. <laughs> you a, can read AV Club. He has, yeah, a, he has some thoughts on it. Yep. Oh. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. But it is. It is kind of like what it, I, I feel like. It's like, what does it mean to be a neighbor? And what do neighbors know about each other? Mm-hmm. Um, what does somebody watching you know about you just by watching right. your day-to-day life? Yeah. Which is kind of what neighbors would typically see, right? They see when you come and go. They see you maybe when you're in your backyard or if Patsy Parisi's in your backyard. Yeah. Um, but that's about all they could really know about you. Yeah. Well, we're excited for season three. Yeah. And there's some excellent, excellent episodes coming up in this season. Mm-hmm. Some of the best. I mean, they're all over the place. They're scattered, but there's some real winners. I think we always say that there's some. I know, of the best. but there are some of the best in this season. Okay. Well. So, get ready for it. We'll be back for all of them, and we'll talk to you then. <laughs>